folks, it's Christmas time. We're getting close to the big day. If you're like me, you're a last-minute gift giver who's already cutting it too close when it comes to shipping. You don't have to worry about that. If you give the gift of Golf Digest Plus, this is the perfect golf gift idea. This gives you the magazine. Our website completely unlocked all kinds of great content on the website, golfdigest.com, like places to play, exclusive course reviews, and course ratings, and plenty of great video content. And Golf Digest Plus is now offering gifting subscriptions. Super easy to go sign up. You go to golfdigest.com backslash plus. That's P-L-U-S. Golfdigest.com backslash plus. Give the gift of Golf Digest Plus to the golf fan in your life. Bunker to bunker, this is impossible. Anything's possible. Um, but I think Greg has to go, first of all. The shot, Bryson. Oh, my, oh my God. God. What the f***, guys? Oh, my God. You okay? And Matthew Fitzpatrick is a champion again at the country club in Brookline. I fall apart. Yeah, on this trip every year, once the stakes actually get high. Did I, I'm, I'm out of the bunker, right? You're in it. No, I'm not. Yeah. Oh, mother Yeah, it just kept trickling down the... Oh my God, I'm such a jackass. <laughs> the winner of the gold medal and the champion golfer of the year is Cameron Smith. It could have been a fairy tale ending. Rory McIlroy, the self-appointed mouthpiece for the PGA Tour, beloved protagonist for all of those against the rising Live Golf Tour, was poised to win the British Open at St. Andrews over a soon-to-be defector, Cam Smith. With the driver, he's got the firepower. If you aren't a fan of the Live Tour, it was during the British Open that you probably felt most strongly about it. It was during the British Open that you most needed Rory to win, metaphorically showing the tour's strength in the process, all at the home of golf, no less. But that didn't happen. Rory didn't win. Cam Smith won. And that means that Cam Smith has won the 150th Open. He is the champion golfer of the year. And in the wake of that tournament came the rush of reality that the Live Tour wasn't going anywhere, that the PGA Tour had its own issues to sort out, and that professional golf as we've known it might never be the same. So if I asked you what you thought the most important golf moment of the year was, you'd probably say that moment. How could you not? But don't let the impossibly perfect drama of the Open overtake your memory of everything else that happened in 2022. I'm Keely Levins, and on this episode of Local Knowledge, Alex Myers, Sam Weinman, Shane Ryan, and myself gather together to talk about our favorite local knowledge moments from 2022, the biggest things that happened this year in the golf world and in our own personal golf lives. Basically, we gave Alex a forum to profess his undying love for Tom Kim. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, sort of. And the tour just could not seem to track him down. 
And it served his legend well For golf Twitter loved to tell about When Tommy the Kid came to town As we all know, since all we do is think about golf, it's been a pretty big year. I'm curious to hear what each of you thinks was the defining moment in golf this year. You could point to any number of golf tournaments, specific golf moments. But to me, the moment that speaks to how weird and backward in some ways this year was, is a meeting that happened during the FedEx Cup playoffs in Wilmington, Delaware. This is the story. This is the week, of course, the PJ Tour. It's in Wilmington, Delaware for the second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs, marking the first time this event is being held in Delaware. But it's Tuesday ahead of the BMW Championship. We're talking about Tiger Woods. Why? Because reportedly later today, the 15-time major champ expected to fly up to Wilmington, Delaware. There's, of course, going to be a golf tournament played here this week. But with so many of the top players in the world coalescing in Delaware, it's also an opportunity to take care of some housekeeping matters. Now, there, there will be The best player in the game, or the biggest name in the game, isn't playing in the golf tournament shows up for it because this battle between the PGA tour and the live upstart had reached such a pivotal moment that he felt like I need to get involved. And in that meeting, apparently the broad strokes were laid out for a lot of the measures that Jay Monahan then announced the following week. So it was like all of the, all the elements of it, just backroom dealings, Tiger taking charge, a little bit of PGA Tour caught on their heels. I feel like it was all reflected in that moment. Yeah, I agree with that. I know the the kind of no one really knows what's going on and the just the general sense of who is in control of golf right now. That feeling just hung over everything for the entire year somehow. Right. You know, a year in which Tiger did not play any meaningful golf or any golf that he made any meaningful impact, he might have still had the biggest participation or biggest role in the season, which speaks to his outsized influence. Yeah, he's the Pip King again, $15 million. Didn't hit a <laughs> shot in a regular event. Pretty amazing. Well, I'm a, I'm a big vibes guy. And along the lines of what you were just saying, I think if I had to describe the year in one word, it would be ominous. I think back when I was covering the Honda Classic, which was probably, you know, the most boring tournament of the year, the biggest story was already Liv. And there were things happening where, oh, Liv had a setback. This might be tough for Liv. And then, you know, when the Phil stuff came out, this might be tough for Liv. But it never quite went away. It was always looming, looming, looming until it became a real thing. So I think for me, thematically and metaphorically, the defining moment of the year came at the Open Championship when it seemed very briefly like we might get a happy ending. And there was always that sense of, I don't know if this year deserves a happy ending. I don't know if it feels right for Rory McIlroy to win the, the Open at St. Andrews. It's like too good. And so that Sunday. And he's done it again. Can this guy put under pressure, Paul, or what? He has proved. You know, as Cam Smith kept creeping up and creeping up and Rory couldn't make the putts, he couldn't go up and down. You got the sense, you know, everybody kind of knew Cam Smith was going. And he was asked after, and it became the big narrative. But you got the sense of like, yeah, this is right. This is right for Cam Smith to beat Rory right now. And that ominous feeling was there because you could tell the thing that you wanted to happen, or, you know, probably a lot of golf fans wanted to happen, was slipping away. 
And so, you know, it took the storybook ending away. To me, that moment also speaks to how messy the year was and how you couldn't draw clean lines between good and bad. Cam Smith, by all accounts, great guy, great for the game, fun to watch. The Live Golf Tour has been cast as this, or was cast as this rogue tour for guys who are on the way out of their careers. And here's this star that goes to live, exciting player. Most people like him. And yet at that point, he did represent kind of a dark side as well. I'm going to go with something a little more uplifting. Um, We talk about stars. We talk about young stars. Tom Kim, I really think 2022 could be the year that we look back and we say this was the year of Tom Kim at least emerging as a star. Obviously, it kind of started over the summer. He was getting he was still playing on the Asian tour. He ended up playing in that Scottish Open, which was basically a major championship. It had 14 of the top 15 in the world. He finished third there. He shot a final round 61 at the Wyndham to win his first PJ Tour event. Then of course we all know what he did at the President's Cup where he was the breakout star there. He could be a future number one player in the world. I can't believe he's 20. He can hit clutch putts like this. What a reaction. (laughs) He's almost like Jim Valcano looking around for somebody to help. I want to get the crowd going, you know. We're on American soil, and it's not easy for us internationals. So I'm trying to use it as my motivation and uh, definitely using it as my energy and uh, like I've, I've thrown a lot of fist bumps this week, so um, it's amazing. Got me to even make a little song about it. Well, that doesn't take much. Well, you true. write a song. And, but, but I, I, and I was already way all in on this guy. And then he goes to Las Vegas, wins a second event, bogey-free performance, beats Patrick Cantley down the stretch to become the first player since Tiger Woods to win twice on the PGA Tour before the age of 21. So, you know, we look back. I remember when Rory got into the top 20 when he before he was 20 years old. I remember being like, oh, man, this guy's the real deal. I remember, obviously, Jordan Spieth holding that bunker shot at the John Deere, win, winning as a teenager. And now I'm going to remember Tom Kim winning twice at the age of 20. And by the way, he's still got a lot more months before he turns 21. So I'm all in on the Tom. Thomas the train train. Go Tom. I think, I think we should make a pact to you know put on our calendars five years from now to revisit this discussion because I actually agree with you. And yeah. part of it's biased because I just happened to be there at the Wyndham on Sunday. I was covering Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, live, I live 40 minutes away. And then the, the President's Cup was in Charlotte. So I was there too. What I loved is that the President's Cup, when they interviewed him after he made that enormous putt on Saturday, he said that while before he did it, what were you thinking of? And he said, I was thinking of the celebration of what I was thinking of. <laughs> you just like, you just like, this guy loves the big moment. Like, yeah. I mean, he's always going to be like that. Like he's already thinking of how he's going to like strut it off and everything. I, I just think that that's a different way to think than, than most people, even most professional golfers. In the press conferences during the President's Cup, they were asking him, this reporter from Charlotte, this very serious voice was talking about inspiration. He's like, you know, when Y.E. Yang beat Tiger Woods to become the first, you know, Asian born player to win a major, you know, what did that mean to you watching it that day? You would have been a kid then and everything and expecting this thing of like, how would it, you know, you know, inspired me as a South Korean or whatever. And he pauses and he goes, well, I'm a really big Tiger fan. So I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I feel like the most impactful moment came really early in the year in January, the USGA announced that the US Women's Open purse was almost going to double from 5.5 million to $10 million, which is 
a very serious amount of money, which is exactly what the very serious players on the LPGA tour deserve. And I think it was so key that it happened that earlier in the year because it kind of caused a ripple effect throughout not just other tournaments on the calendar up in their purses, but every single major increased their purse. KPMG doubled their purse. And then the tour championship, not a major, but still huge event. They had the biggest winner's check ever, $2 million this year. It's official. Lydia Ko is a champion again at the CME Group Tour Championship. And the player of the year. And I just think that that was, it just made such a statement for the USGA to do that right at the beginning of the year that it kind of didn't give any of the other majors the option to do anything but up their purses too. And I think it's a trend that, you know, it's really important. And I think that it's going to continue into next year too. Going to Pebble Beach this year is huge. Yeah. For the U.S. Yeah. Women's Open. I mean, that's going to be, that's awesome. I mean, hopefully they'll play a little prime time. Everybody tunes in to see Pebble Beach. So that's what a stage for that, that championship. Yeah, I like I like what KPMG does too, like only playing at venues that have hosted men's tournaments too. Like being down there at Congressional this year, it was just it was incredible. Hey, seeing all the trees that were gone. <laughs> but you know, it's a it's hard to like watch these tournaments and not think of these other epic moments that have happened there and then allowing the women the opportunity to create their own history at these same venues. It's it's very, you know, legitimizing, I feel like. And Keely, well, you were uh, you were kind enough to let me cover the U.S. Women's Open in your place this year because you couldn't be there. And I just I just thought it was a great tournament at Pine Needles. And one other cool thing created a neat trivia question, which is who is the first women's player ever to make a million dollars in a tournament for finishing second? And that was Mina Harrigay. And that's just kind of a cool little encapsulation of the progress it means, where you know not just the winner won a million dollars, but even number two got it. And, and it was only a couple of years ago that like. A million dollars was, this was the first time ever a million dollars was given to a winner at the CME. Like this, the progress is so swift. But I was going to say too, just speaking of legitimizing it and, and making improvements and you meant you bring up the U S women's open at pine needles, obviously Minji Lee won. I was just doing something yesterday. This was the first year that the LPGA tracked, you know, the advanced stats that we see on the PGA tour, the first full season. And they have the strokes gained stats and Minji Lee's like strokes gained approach jumps off the page. She's, she gained over two strokes uh, around. It's apparently only, only Tiger Woods has ever done that in the shot link era. So it just another, and Lydia Ko was, you know, her overall strokes gained was head and shoulders above, Crazy. which showed why she was, had such an amazing year. So just another example of them heading in the right direction, both with the purses and the stats and the better venues and, and everything else. Guys, it's Christmas time. It's a wonderful time. It's a stressful time, especially if you're like me, a last-minute gift giver who cuts it a little close with the shipping. Guess what? You don't have to worry about shipping if you give the gift of Golf Digest schools. This is Golf Digest, home for golf instruction. Tons of video lessons from some of the best coaches and tour players in the world. They'll fix your driver play. They'll fix your fairway wood play. They'll fix your bunker play, your putting, your iron play, anything you could think of. Golf Digest Schools has it. My personal favorite, Jordan Spieth, teaching you how to rip bombs at the range. The best part about this, 40% off with promo code WINTER. That's all caps, W-I-N-T-E-R, WINTER. That's $80 off 
the best last minute golf gift you can think of, the gift of better golf. Go to schools.golfdigest.com to find out more. We all obviously watch a ton of golf and we play a ton of golf. Don't worry, Sam, we work a lot too. Yeah. I'm no one played more than me. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's probably true. Well, our photo, our photo staff. They do, well. they do well. They do really get it well. in. They yeah. get it in. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Keely, not to cut. No, you. no. Always down to drag uh, our coworkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what what was your personal favorite moment of the year? I can go first here. I mean, yeah, very easy for me here. And you mentioned playing a lot. And I, 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 I actually did end up playing the most I've played since I've been a dad, but it was really more the practicing and everything else because I did this program, which we, we, doc, we chronicled on a local knowledge podcast as well. This 12 week program with the golf performance center in Richfield, Connecticut. Never has a golfer come in more prepared and ready to win than young Al Myers. A virtuoso performance on a virtuoso track by a virtuoso young man. Your 2022 HGGA champion, Alex Myers. Hands down, my favorite assignment I've ever done just because a, it was fun doing, but B, I actually, you know, you, I, I went into it with a lot of pressure because I, I didn't want to let these guys down. I wanted to actually improve. And by the end of it, the improvements were actually pretty incredible, at least for, from, by my standards. So that was something else. I'd talked about this on our podcast in other years about choking under pressure in particular with the driver. And I go on my golf trip and talk about a storybook ending. I end up winning it. And not only did I win, I didn't hit any of these like off the planet. I call them block slices, yips. I didn't do it once this whole time. And in the past few years, I was really like crippled by that under pressure in these final rounds, which sounds silly, but you know, as we all do, we take this, uh, take this game too seriously sometimes. So, but anyway, it was just an amazing experience to get to do that. And I'll say like, at, at one point I thought, you know, I wish I had all the time and money. I could actually be a really good golfer. And I still do think like, obviously to the extent that's true, but I also gained such an appreciation for these guys because where I was putting in maybe a half an hour of working out and maybe an hour going to the range on a mostly daily basis. I mean, I legitimately was hitting it 25 yards farther. So it was wild. I can go next because it kind of follows on Alex's theme, which is that, you know, the best way to endear listeners to us is to talk about all the free things we get. (laughs) (laughs) This year, and I want to make it clear before we start that I'm a way worse golfer than Alex and way worse than probably almost everyone else at Golf Digest. You know, Sam, you and I- You and I are close, yeah. You and I are close, yeah. I'm on a mission to break 80 this year. It's December 2nd. That's almost certainly going to fail. But Mike Statura, the the equipment editor here at Golf Digest, contacted me and said, do you want to do a story where you compare clubs from the original hot list, the best clubs from like 2004 with the best clubs currently? And I said, sure. And he's like, and by the way, you get new clubs from this. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, absolutely. Twist my arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I was about to say, are you sure you want me to do it? Because, you know, they may not make a difference for me, but they certainly do. And it is amazing what uh, how much equipment has changed because I was using tailor-made burners from like, you know, not that much, you know, older or newer than the original hot list of it. Yeah, yeah like 2011. You, 
They didn't have to send you anything. You're just like, I'll bring my own bag. I'm like, you can send me the ones from two years earlier if you want. But but yeah, but it's funny how much how much it's changed. It doesn't necessarily improve my game, but it improves the quality of the best shots. And so that was pretty neat. Um, I will also give a shout out. I was doing a story this year and Neil Schuster, who is part of No Laying Up and is on the, the show Strapped, which I was writing about, told me something that I think really resonated, which he said, I think that adult men care more about meaningless competition than anything else in life. And I was like, that is absolutely right. And I have a friend's Ryder Cup trip, which I know is like I'm, I'm pretty much everybody that I talk to has one of these, you know, like a, a group trip, but it's so much fun. It's been going on for two years now. And I find myself thinking about it literally every moment of the year. And we were up in Cape Cod this year and we played and my team won last year, but we lost this year, but it's so fun and so intense and it matters so much that I just think it's like, it, it proves how great golf is and how it can kind of nurture friendship and, and can kind of give you a, you know, for people like me who played baseball, basketball, football, when I was in high school, and then all of a sudden after college and intramurals, your competitive outlet basically drops off a cliff. If you don't have something that kind of fills this, this void. And then finally, from the world of professional golf, a quick one. I'm a match play junkie. I love it. I watched Kevin Kisner this year at the WGC match play beat people like Justin Thomas, Will Zalatoris. He went to another championship. It actually feels like it's ball wants to go towards the front edge of the green. No. Yeah, there we go. It'll be conceded. Kevin Kisner is into the finals again. I still don't understand really why Kevin Kisner is so good at match play. It doesn't really make sense. You know, his, his explanation is like, well, I'm a bulldog and I like to annoy you. But there is just something about certain guys' personalities that makes them good at this format. And I thought it was neat that finally he was rewarded by being on a team, the President's Cup this year. So I learned how to play golf from my mom, who's a very accomplished golfer. And the only type of golf that she plays now really is scrambles. She's on this very rigorous scramble schedule every summer. And her group pulls me in when they need another person or if it's like a five-man scramble. And so I got pulled into this three-day, five-man scramble booze fest. It was <laughs> unlike anything I've seen. And I'm pregnant. My mom doesn't drink. And our playing partners do. <laughs> and and we're, we're like, we're out there in a cart together. And it was like we were in our own, like, bubble when we were in the cart together. And she was, you know, she was trying to figure out something with her T-ball. And so she'd hit and she'd get back in the cart with me and we'd start talking about it. And I remember saying something to her, oh, I'm seeing this. And she's like, oh, that's exactly something that her brother had said to her 30 years ago. And like, oh, that's such a good tip for me. And like, I'm going back and referencing instruction stories that I've done. Like I'm on my phone, like trying to pull up old transcripts and stuff like we're in it. We are doing a full analysis. And one of our playing partners, we lost him for a whole, he was wandering in the streams, picking up golf balls. <laughs> and it was just such a, I, I just had such a, a love for golf that weekend yeah. that this huge range of enjoyment of this game of getting drunk and wandering in a stream. And we probably used two of his shots over three days. All of these things can exist on a golf course at the same time and it's totally normal and totally acceptable and it's just yeah it's just why we love golf and why it's so different from anything else
Alex, you had started talking about an assignment you had that was it was work and golf. And first of all, my one of my favorite memories from the year was well, actually, was a trip that I took to Bandon Dunes, which I think everyone except for you, Alex, has been to, which was incredible. And I got to do it with Charlie, my son, which was amazing. So that was one highlight. The other one was a work assignment, though, and I'm using assignment in air quotes because it was the round that I played with Joel Damon in, in Arizona, which ended up being a magazine story, but also ended up being a, a video and a, a local knowledge episode. So it was kind of like your golf performance center where we kind of mined it for as much as we could. And for me, it was extremely fun. I mean, it really, like you said, it was work in the sense that I had to produce something at the end, but it never felt like work because it was such a cool experience. The whole idea, if you didn't know, is I would hit from the tips, Joel hit my drives, Joel hit from the members tees, and then I got to hit his drives. I knew that was gonna happen. I knew that was gonna happen. I was just way too much thought. Ugh. Still chipping. Disappointed in me? Feeling the heartbreak. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed for us. <sighs> what do you say to your kids? You're not mad at them? You're disappointed? Yeah. I'm not disappointed. I'm just sad. <laughs> and it was basically like, what happens? It was a reinvention of an idea that Golf Digest did 30 years ago. And, you know, I, I've never had so much fun playing golf. And it was all on camera, which was nerve-wracking in a sense. But just because of the company and because it was such a cool idea to be able to actually play golf from, you know, 70 yards further up than when I usually play or in some cases, a hundred yards further up. I've watched the video since I was interviewing him. And I honestly, I wasn't interviewing him. I was just genuinely asking him questions about what life is like on the PGA tour. And it ended up being something I was interested in. It ended up being good content for other people as well. It actually also, in a way, even though I underperformed and made an ass of myself, I'm now being roasted on YouTube comments everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're just destroyed. Just roast out there. Absolutely just destroy. But it was a form of competition in the sense that you're trying to perform under some type of pressure or spotlight. And despite what people think, I actually felt like, you know, I... I handled it fairly well because I was super nervous the entire time. And it, and I loved it. Like, I loved every part of it. If I can pay you a compliment, Sam, I think, you know, the way you put yourself out there, you obviously have insecurities tied to your golf game, like like a lot of us do. But at the same time, you put yourself out there where you can be roasted on YouTube comments or you're making yourself vulnerable constantly. The only thing I will say is that whatever you say about me, trust me, whatever, I'm saying it way worse in my head. So I, it's hard to really offend me. Yeah, it's like you can't insult me worse than I insult myself. I feel I feel the same way. Shane, you mentioned the the Breaking 80 podcast. That kind of segues into the last thing I wanted to talk about today, which was you know, a favorite moment or a favorite podcast that we each worked on this year. Well, I got into local knowledge late. I think, you know, this only I've only done a couple episodes and I'm so happy to be doing them and it's a lot of fun. That one was great. Working with Sam was awesome. And of course, it's about yourself. So it's very easy. I think another one I would mention, I did one on selfishness in professional golf. Golfers are selfish. They have to be. I think in an individual sport, you've got to be considered about what you're doing and what you're doing and being important. That's why Barbara was so important. She understood that. She understood that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't yield that situation. I had, I had, to, I had, to, I had, to, I had to be my dominant thing while I was, while I was trying to participate. And uh, I just think it's an interesting look at the gradations of how people live. I think probably we all know somebody who is selfless or, or as near to selfless as you can be for a human, right? 
that's not me. Then, you know, you think of yourself and how you behave and you're like, okay, what, what selfish behavior do I have either at my worst moments or just as a natural course of living. And then you look at pro golfers for whom everything in their life is geared around them in a way that the vast majority of human beings, unless you're a narcissist, don't live that way. And so everything, you know, you, they have coaches, they have like, you know, their teams, they have their psychologists, like their fans, everything is focused on them constantly. And it, to me, it's such a strange way to live that, you know, when I was at the president's cup, that happened to be the time when I was researching this. And I asked a lot of people for their thoughts on, you know, do you have to be selfish? Most of them said, yes, to be successful as a professional golfer, you do. Max Homa was one of the few that said, no, you know, he kind of, and it's interesting that he said that where he's like, sure, you do have to guard your time a little bit, but I try to take pains to sort of, you know, treat people well and, and try to live a normal life. And it's funny how you can kind of see that reflected in his personality a little bit too. But yeah, I, I just think it was, we all kind of know, you know, we've all said that to ourselves and we've all heard it said, yeah, you got to be selfish to succeed in pro golf, but to really think about it and to get in depth on it and talk with psychologists about it and consider how different their lives are and what a bubble they live in. For what it's worth, Shane, I love that one as well. And I thought you hit on all the important points, the, the Homa stuff. I remember him sort of resisting that idea because I think selfishness inherently has a negative connotation. And mm -hmm. what you're saying is that you're also, you have to be singularly focused, right? And that was part of it as well is to be singularly focused. That means you can't be distracted by friends, family, things like that. And that is a, that is a negative in a lot of contexts, but as it relates to being a great golfer, Tiger Woods is probably the most singularly focused golfer that has ever lived. Didn't make eye contact with people and walk into the first tee which, to his detriment, but it's part of what made him so exceptional. And I thought you hit on that really well. My favorite podcast that I worked on this year also brought us back, but a bit farther than yours, back to the 1930s and 40s. Definitely not an uplifting story in any way, but I was... I was sent an email about a book that a woman had read about this insane story about this famous, amazing amateur female golfer who was murdered in the middle of the night in her apartment that was on a golf course. At around three in the morning on September 28, 1941, two men broke into the Miley apartment. From all accounts, the crime itself took um took a very short period of time and i mean we all get all these pr emails all day every day and mostly they're not about much of anything super exciting but this just sounded like an, an unbelievable story that like, it couldn't even be true and i had never heard of it i reached out to a couple of you guys like nobody had really heard of marion miley and so it just kind of led me down this path of reading the book and reaching out to the author and having this just crazy conversation with her. She spent years and years researching it, everything that happened to Marion and finding people who were there when the crime happened, who were living in Lexington at the time and, you know, finding Marion's old journals. And it was just this, I couldn't stop thinking about the story. I was losing sleep over it. It was just like one of those stories that just got so under my skin. And that just, you know, that doesn't happen with every story that we write. So it just made it such an incredible experience for me to to work on it. And then to be able to to share her story with our audience, because she she was an amazing golfer. She beat Babe Diedrichson's Harris. She was incredible. And and also just to get to to shine a little bit of a light on this era of women's amateur golf, where 
these women were famous. These women were stars. And you look at women's amateur golf now and it's, you know, it, it's not like that. So that was, that was definitely a favorite experience for me on the podcast. It was awesome. And there's so much weird golf history out there. I think not mm -hmm. only, not only was your podcast excellent, but it's almost like it could be a seed, right. For, for all these strange stories that really are lost to time. And I just think also it's so neat that somebody would write a book about that. I wanted to touch on a, on a more uplifting story. Once again, I think it was the first one we did this year, at least the first one I did, it was on the golf infomercials. Come on, the HammerX is real golf technology, not another gimmick, core rated, metal changing, compass, blah, blah, blah. Immediately break. Once you learn to swing the Medicus without breaking it, you'll know you're swinging in tempo and on plane. You'll get rid of that slice and start and, it down the middle. You know, these were the, the products that we grew up, or I don't know, maybe Keely, you're too young, but we grew up kind of seeing these on TV all the time, whether it was the alien wedge or the perfect club or the, you know, the tight lies or swing magic. And, uh, you know, the, these, these golf infomercials were on all the time. And, you know, I dug into this, it was based on a, an article by our, our Peter Finch from, I think about 10 years ago, but it was really cool to kind of track down some of these guys, including Barney Adams from Adams Golf and Charles Kalassi from swing magic and some of these products, you know, they, some of them were, you had to kind of sift through the garbage, but some of these products were legit. I mean, the bar, the Adams tight lies made it into the bag of like three quarters of the senior tour at, at some point. And, yeah. you know, some of these other training aids really helped, but it was just a cool era because it was, you know, the golf channel was, was just coming on. They needed to fill the airspace the, you know, the tiger boom was coming and it was just this whole thing. And now you have, Companies are able to reach people so much easier through social media or, or what have you. And so, you know, these products still exist, but we just don't get hit over the head with them like we used to with some of these characters. This guy, Jack Ham, the hammer, and he did these infomercials with rocket ships going into space. And he'd say, pow, pow, and, you know, he'd hit these drives. So that was a real fun one for me. And it actually, if I could tie it into something that happened this year, look at Matt Fitzpatrick at the U.S. Open a guy who used something called the stack system, which sounds like it's out of an infomercial. He worked with this biomechanics coach named Sasha McKenzie, and he's improved his swing speed to the point where I remember being up there at the U S open at Brookline after Friday. And all anybody wanted to talk about was how Matt Fitzpatrick was out driving Dustin Johnson all day. And people thought Matt Fitzpatrick was this like little bunter. Mm -hmm. Matt Fitzpatrick has gained so much swing speed that he's one of the longer hitters on tour now. So I think you're going to see, Guys, not that we, we saw them with fitness, but now we're going to see guys even more just speed, 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 and whatever training system or anything that you can get to improve on that. It just shows that all golfers want to get better, even the best in the world. And, and like I found out with, with my training thing, it, it is possible if you really put your mind to it and you have the right people helping you. While Live Golf certainly dominated the golf news cycle, there were so many other incredible moments this year. From the financial progress made in the women's game to the rise of a new young star, golf yet again gave us a year of important moments and local knowledge gave us the opportunity to share stories that enthralled and challenged us. And I love how all of the other moments that mattered so much to each of us came back to trying to get better, trying to solve this impossible puzzle of a game and spending time with great people while we do it. I'm pretty confident that all of you listening would have a similar anecdote to share if we asked you what your personal favorite moment of the year was. 
Doesn't that just sum up why we're all addicted to this game in the first place? Thank you for listening to another season of Local Knowledge. We hope you enjoyed hearing our stories as much as we love sharing them. We'll be back in the new year with more episodes, so keep an ear out for those. Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Weinman. Our music is Cut a Rug by Robert John. You can subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts, and we welcome a review as well. Also, for expert picks, betting advice, and insights into the action on the PGA Tour, please also make sure to subscribe to Golf Digest's The Loop podcast.